You're gifted, neighbor. You're gifted. You're gifted, right? And then my title today is called Aggressive Pursuit. Turn to your neighbor and say, Aggressive Pursuit. Aggressive Pursuit. Aggressive Pursuit. Have you ever watched a cop chase somebody before? You know, when I was um, 16, one of my friends, he, uh, actually two of my friends, they were um, coming up State Street going this way, so that's west, right? And as they got to State Street, there was a cop chasing somebody. I don't know what they did wrong, but they did something wrong. And so they're racing up State Street. My friends are racing down Florida Street, and the cop runs into my two, two of my best friends, hits their car, and the car spins like three times. That cop was in an aggressive pursuit. Sometimes, how many of us have seen, there's the things that we aggressively chase and pursue. When me and Kim got together, I think both of us maybe aggressively pursued each other. As soon as she spit on my forehead, then I started pursuing her more aggressively because it was the spit that got me, and I was like, yep, this is the one. The definition of gifted is exceptional talent, natural or spiritual ability. Have an exceptional talent. The definition of gifted, have an exceptional talent, natural spiritual ability. Exceptional. That word exceptional. Turn to your name and say, you're exceptional this morning. To be good, to be outstanding, to be unique, extraordinary. I like this last one. Noteworthy. Exceptional. Good, outstanding, unique, extraordinary, and noteworthy. And this morning, one of the things that God wanted me to say is you're all exceptional people. Good, outstanding, unique, extraordinary, noteworthy. Now, sometimes we don't feel exceptional, but you're all exceptional this morning. How cool is it that the same God that created the mountains, the oceans, the galaxies, thought the world needed one of you too. How cool is it that the same God created mountains, oceans, and galaxies, thought the world needed one of you? This morning, do you feel like you're an exceptional person? Do you feel this morning that your gifts, they radiant? They're, they're, they're shining so bright within you, whether it may be talent, whether it may be strength, whether it may be looks, whether it just may be confidence, exceptional, feeling good, feeling unique, feeling extraordinary, feeling that my life is noteworthy. Because that's how God wants you to feel this morning. God wants you to know that you are exceptional, that you are unique, that you are amazing, that every single thing that he put inside of you, he did it for a reason. God made you for a reason. You are an extraordinary person, and this morning you are gifted. So our beginning text where we start comes to us, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 4. There are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same spirit, same spirit is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but is the same God who does the work in all of us. Verse 7. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. So we, so we can what? Help each other. To one person, the Spirit gives the ability to give wise advice. 
To others, the same Spirit gives a message of special knowledge. The same Spirit gives great faith to another. And to someone else, the Spirit gives the gift of healing. Verse 10. He gives one person the power to perform miracles, another the ability to prophesy. He gives someone else the ability to discern whether a message is from the Spirit of God or from another spirit. Still another person is given the ability to speak in unknown languages, the gift of tongues, while another is given the ability to interpret what is being said. It is the one and only Spirit who distributes all these gifts. He alone decides which gift each person should have. I don't know if you caught this, but in 1 Corinthians 12.4, there's a few things that Paul points out. He says, look, the same Spirit, source of them all, the same Lord, and the same God. Same Spirit, same Lord, same God. Paul pointed out the Trinity here. As he's talking about spiritual gifts, he's using the Trinity as an example. The Holy Spirit, it's the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. He's alive, he's available, he can be living inside of you. This same Spirit is the one who gives these gifts. For what purpose, Paul said, to serve the same Lord, which is Jesus. So he's referring to Jesus. It's the Spirit who gives, it's the Spirit who empowers, it's the Spirit that enables. For what purpose? To serve the same Lord. Only one Lord. There's only one Lord. His name is Jesus. And at the end of the day, all for the glory for the same God who is our Heavenly Father. It is the Spirit that gives. It is the Spirit that empowers all for Him. To teach us that we should rely on, that we should depend on God's Spirit for empowerment. How many of us know that in relationships, if you've been in love this morning, how many of us know that love is a good feeling? And when you love someone and someone loves you back, you, you start to rely and you can actually start to depend on that love, right? And so as Paul is describing this dependence, this reliance upon, this is what he's saying. We should, as believers, know that we must depend on the Holy Spirit. We have to depend on the Holy Spirit for empowerment, for our gifts. You were born with gifts, but those gifts, like a treasure, box, this, it gets discovered the day you ask Jesus into your heart. And so you're born with his gifts, but the day you ask Jesus into your heart, then the treasure chest comes open, and then those gifts start to unfold moment by moment, second by second. Gifts, the gifts of the Spirit, they're evidence that the Holy Spirit is working in us. And an easy example, love again, if you hang out with me, you're going to hear me talk about my wife, you're going to hear me talk about my kids, that's evidence that I love my wife and that I love my kids, right? Evidence, my speech, my actions, there's evidence, there's people that I love in my life every single day. And so as the Holy Spirit, the spiritual gifts, as they start to be active in us, there should be evidence. What are my gifts? We kind of just quickly wrote out some things right now. We quickly just took a list and we made some marks. We said, here are spiritual gifts. Here are spiritual gifts. This is, yes, I'm wise. I'm knowledgeable. I have the gift of leadership. I have the gift of this. I have the gift to believe in miracles and healing and all these things. And so here's the gifts. And it's great that we can mark it. And it's great that we can talk about it. But at some point, we should start to see them. We should start to see them. 
How about this? Think about this. What if there's sick, hurting people in our life, and you have the gift of healing, and God put them in your life so that you can pray for them so that they can be healed? What if there's people who are suffering because we're not stepping into the gift that God has for us? God created community. God created people. And it's all to build his kingdom. It's all to encourage, to strengthen his body, the body of Christ. So to illustrate our text today and our title, which is called Aggressive Pursuit, turn to your neighbor one more time and say, Aggressive Pursuit. We're going to go to Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 17. One day, while Jesus was teaching... Some Pharisees and teachers of religious law were sitting nearby. It seemed that these men showed up from every village in all of Galilee and Judea, as well as from Jerusalem. And the Lord's healing power was strongly with Jesus. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a sleeping mat, and they tried to take him inside to Jesus. They couldn't reach him because of the crowd. So they went up to the roof. They took off some tiles. They lowered the sick man on his mat down in the crowd right in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the man, young man, your sins are forgiven. But the Pharisees and teachers of religious law said to themselves, who does he think he is? That's blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Verse 22. Jesus knew what they were thinking, so he asked them, Why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or stand up and walk? I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. Verse 25. Immediately, as everyone watched, the man jumped up, he picked up his mat, and he went home praising God. Everyone was gripped with great wonder and awe as they praised God, exclaiming, we have seen amazing things today. And so this morning as we start to paint this picture, again, it's to illustrate the, the topic today, aggressive pursuit. It says that there was Pharisees who were there. Pharisees, they called themselves separated ones. Separated ones. Turn your neighbor and say, are you a separated one? Do you separate yourself? The Pharisees was this group of religious men who separated themselves. What did they do? They taught in synagogues. They taught in churches. They considered themselves religious examples. They were guardians, not of the galaxy, guardians of the law. The teachers of the law were also there. Who were these men? These were men who all they did was study the law, which is the first five books of the Bible. They interpreted it, and then they taught it. They studied it, interpreted it, and then they taught it. And then it says everybody else was there. This is a good mix of people. You had Pharisees, the separated ones. You had the teachers of the law, wise, all-knowing men. And then everybody else showed up. So you had a wide variety of people. Good things happen, right, when everybody shows up. 1 Peter 1.17 says, remember that the Heavenly Father to whom you pray, he's got no favorites. He will judge or reward you according to what you do. You must live in reverent fear of him during your time here as temporary residents. It's one of the things that people struggle with Jesus is because the crowd and the people that he chose to hang out with. 1 Peter, remember, the Heavenly Father who you pray to, he has no Favorites. He will judge or reward you according to what you do, must live in reverent fear of him. And most of us, when we look in the mirror, we say, yeah, I'm God's favorite. 
I'm God's favorite son, right? I'm God's favorite daughter. I know we do sometimes. We're like, ah, God loves me. God loves me. Jesus, every event that he went to, there, he was not showing favoritism to anybody. Yes, most of the time the conversation with the religious people got a little awkward, but that's because they were awkward, right? Jesus, he brought, he consumed. He was like a magnet to every single kind of person. Matthew 5.43 says, You've heard that the law says, Love your neighbor, hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you'll be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives sunlight to both evil and the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for even that? Even the corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you're kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. And you know what Jesus says next? He says, go and be perfect. Now, interestingly enough, how many of us in here are perfect? There's maybe not too many of us, right? I mean, we, we're all kind of imperfect beings, even though we're, we're pretty good, right? Why would Jesus talk about loving, being good to people, being nice to everybody, not only our friends, and then say, go and be perfect? What does perfection have to do Sometimes in our head, we think perfection is being good little boys and good little girls, right? We're picturing being in the classroom, and the teacher's got a ruler, and the minute we act up, smack. Sometimes the view of perfection, we think, is just being so perfect in everything, and we're being sweet, and we're being kind. But Jesus, he's pointing out something deeper here. Perfection can be seen how you treat people. Why would he talk about how we treat sinners and, and good people and bad people? Perfection, it's not in our actions. It's how you treat people. When he said, go and be perfect, how are you going to be perfect? In the way you treat every single person on this planet. Does that mean we have bad days? Absolutely. Does that mean we slip up and say something we should? Shouldn't sometimes? Yes, we all do. Perfection isn't being the best little good, uh, you know, boy and good little girl. Perfection, Jesus said, it's how you treat the person next to you, how you treat somebody that you don't like and they don't like you. That is perfection in the way that we treat people. It says that Jesus showed up and his healing power was on display. So we're talking about spiritual gifts. We're going to look at this story, and we want to ask ourselves, what spiritual gifts were on display? Because that's what we're asking God about ourselves this morning. What spiritual gifts do I have? Jesus had the power to perform miracles, as he had power to do everything, right? We know he walked on water, he raised the dead, all of those things. But one of the gifts that are mentioned here is that he had strong healing power. This is one of the greatest gifts, and I believe this morning that we do have people in here, one, two, three, five, that have this gift. Sometimes we just don't know that it's there. I think that some of us in here, we have the faith to believe that when we are praying for somebody, they will be healed. That faith is strong. It's not wavering. And this morning, just like Jesus had strong healing power, some of us in here this morning, you have this gift. And it's not for you. It's for the people that God puts in your life to pray for. 
God's gifts. So as we look at this story, we see that there was a few men. What did these men do? They took one of their other friends who was paralyzed, and they carried him to the house, of Je the house where Jesus was. They could not get in. So what did they do? They climbed upstairs. They climbed on top of the roof. As they get on top of the roof, they had to take apart the roof, and then they had to lower their friend down. And so as we look at these men, I think there's a ton of gifts that these men had. They had the gift of faith. Because Jesus said, son, your faith, right? Boys, your faith. And so these four guys who were willing to carry their friend who was paralyzed, they believed. They had this gift of faith. They had mercy. They had compassion on their friend because he was paralyzed. They said, life is not about me in this moment. It's not about my feelings and emotions and where I want to be. It's not what it's about what's on TV right now. It's about my friend, and I want my friend well. I want my friend healed. I want this man to be healed and whole. That's why we come to church. I'm coming because whether I need it or I'm going to be here for somebody else. I'm going to reach out to somebody else. I'm going to pray for somebody else. These men had the gift of faith, the gift of mercy, the gift of leadership. They led. They led. They were leading. They had wisdom. They were smart. When they realized they get to the house, I can't get in here. I need to do something different. Right? So they climbed upstairs. These men had the gift of helping. These men had the gift of directing. These four men in here had the gift to serve. These men had the gift of strength because they carried the man from his house to the other house, upstairs, and down through the roof. These men had the gift of problem solving. They were not going to give up as each part of the process each step of the way, a new problem arose, and they kept coming up with a solution to the problem. And lastly, they had the gift of support. They supported their friend. Mercy, faith, leadership, wisdom, help, directing, serving, strength, problem solving, supporting. As we looked at our list this morning, I wonder how many did you pick of yourself? How many things did you look at that list and say to yourself, this is my gift, my one and only gift. These are my two gifts. These are my five gifts. These are my 25 gifts. I don't know. But I wonder this morning, how many did you see in yourself? And then as we read this story, did you see all the gifts that were displayed? We saw Jesus with the gift of healing. For the four men, they had the gift of faith, mercy, leadership, wisdom, help, directing, serving, strength, fortitude, not giving up, problem solving, and supporting. And I think in here this morning, all of you have most of these gifts as well. The gift of faith, to believe in something greater. The gift of mercy, to have compassion on somebody who's hurting and having a hard time. The gift of leadership, I want to lead. There's something in me that wants to lead and pull people and things together. The gift of wisdom, just knowing the right thing at the right time. The gift of helping other people, being hospital. The gift of directing calling the shots and pulling all things together, serving, having strength and fortitude, not giving up in a moment, not giving up. I'm not giving up on my friend. I'm going to keep praying until they're healed. I'm not giving up on my friend. I'm going to keep praying until God answers them. 
I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to give in. I'm not giving up. I'm not. Fortitude, strength. God's called us to be rocks that aren't moved. When someone says something that bothers us, he's called us to be a rock, not moved, not easily shaken. As they lower this man down, the, the Pharisees, they start looking at Jesus, and they already that judgmental spirit started coming out. Jesus said to him, son, your sins are forgiven. The only one who had that right was the Messiah. And see, the, the religious people and teachers of the law, they were unwilling to see Jesus as the Messiah. And so as they said this, they actually didn't say it, they were thinking it. Jesus, he read their mind. He didn't, they did not say this out loud. They were thinking it. Jesus then speaks their thoughts. Why are you being so judgmental? What is easier to say? They're being so judgmental. I have a verse this morning that I want you to listen real closely to because all of us can fall into being religious, just like the men in this story. Galatians 5.13 says, You've been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy yourself. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. Listen to Paul again. You've been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but that does not, you're not given freedom for yourself. Use your freedom to serve one another in love. Where's freedom found? It's not by what you do for you, but it's what you do for somebody else. Verse 14, the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. And this last one, this, was, this is the one that gets me. But if you're always biting and devouring one another, watch out because you're destroying each other. And honestly, the church of Jesus Christ finds herself in this last verse where so many Christians, I can't tell you in, in my 47 years of living how many times Christians, and I do it too, without realizing it, we're just, we're all kind of bitey, happy kind of people, right? And so, we just like to bite each other, right? Arr, like the, like the stingray that bit my son yesterday at the, uh, at Oceanside Beach, or stung him, it didn't bite him, it stung my son. My eldest, Micah, it's horrible, he is walking in here this morning, so he's okay. But, we as the church should not be biting and devouring one another but honestly i don't know what it is as christians sometimes why we think that it's our job to talk about other christians remember the first verse one of the first verses i read god does not have any favorites sun rises on the good and the evil rains for the good and for the evil but how can we spend so much time talking about other people how can we help people when we're always talking about them People love to talk about their leaders, right? We love to talk about the president we have now. There's a lot of people who bash him, love him. I mean, he's got, it's all over the board, right? The last president, there's people who loved him. There's people who hated him. Leadership normally is always the first to be criticized. After we're done criticizing our leaders, then you know what we do? We turn to those around us and we criticize them. Apostle Paul says, listen, you've been called to live in freedom my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy yourself. Use your freedom to serve one another. 
Paul blows me away with this. He says, your freedom, your freedom is found in serving one another. If you can do this, love your neighbor as yourself, but if you're always biting and devouring one another, watch out, because you are destroying one another. And this blows my mind. It's sad. How do we find perfection? How do we find freedom? Paul says freedom. You serve one another. Jesus, how do we be perfect? It's not by acting like a good boy and a girl. Being perfect is by how you treat the person next to you. And it doesn't happen overnight. We get tested all the time. We get tested all the time. God puts tests in our, in our lap and says, ah, no, they didn't get it yet. These are the gifts these men displayed. And as they lowered him down, the Pharisees are starting to get judgy. And then Jesus says to them, son, your sins are forgiven. He didn't come there to get his sins forgiven. He didn't come there. The man, he didn't have his friends carry him 10 miles through the snow that was six feet deep. He didn't, they didn't walk all this distance just so his sins could be forgiven. They brought their friend there so that he could be healed. So why is it Jesus said to him, son, your sins are forgiven? Because the most important part and most important thing in life is that our sins are forgiven. And that our sins are forgiven. Knowing that when we ask Jesus into our heart, when we say, Jesus, I give you my life. I'm choosing to follow after you. Jesus, here is me. Here is everything. When you surrender your life to Jesus and you become forgiven and you become cleansed, this is the most important thing in life. This is the most important thing that every single one of us, we were created with a need and the need is to be forgiven. Jesus says to this man's son, your sins are forgiven. And he's saying, that's not what I came for. And Jesus is saying, yeah, but it's what you need. And so many times we go to God and we're praying and we're asking for this. When he's saying, that's not what you need. This is what you need over here. We're praying and we're asking. And God's saying, but that's not, that's not what you need. Our friends, how many friends do we have with needs, concerns? And so we're, we're, we're taking those issues and concerns to God, and we're praying on their behalf. And I wonder, just like the man in the story, maybe God's saying, you need to change your prayer because it needs to be for something different. I'll heal them. I'll provide for them. I'm going to do this, but I first want to take care of this. Son, your sins are forgiven. This is the greatest miracle. When a person decides, I'm surrendering my life and I'm giving it all to Jesus, this is the greatest miracle. That person crosses from death into a brand new life. When a person surrenders everything and they become forgiven, they are now given a whole new life. They become a whole new person. Some of us this morning might say, why do I need to be a new person? I like the one that I got. I like me. I like me. I spent so many years with me. And Jesus is saying, yeah, you're great. Yes, you're unique. You're awesome. But he says there's something better. There's something better. There's something even better, even greater. And it starts with being forgiven. Man, it's so powerful to be forgiven. 
It's so powerful. Jesus, that he can forgive us no matter how many times we turn our back on him. He can forgive us. Communion, to live in remembrance, like the song that we sang this morning. I give my life. He's given his life for me. Now I'm going to live in remembrance of what he's done for me. And if I ever start to walk away, then I have to remind myself over and over again what my God has done for me. Jesus, God, who was on this earth, who became the sacrifice for my sins so that I can be healed and whole. We will never be whole in life unless we're forgiven. We will never be healthy mentally, physically, spiritually unless we're fully forgiven. How many of us know people, and again, it's because we're wonderful, sweet, kind, you know, juicy kind of people. How many of you know couples that, that like fight, you know, and couples who go through horrible things, and you'll hear one of the couples, the husband or the wife say, you know, I'm sorry, you know, I forgive you. But when you're hearing their tone, you can tell, eh, yeah, they don't really mean it. See, sometimes we come to God, we're saying, God, forgive me. Force of God's saying, ah, you don't really mean it yet. You're not really ready to surrender. The moment of full surrender, the moment of saying, God, I lay down my life, and I'm going to go, and I'm going to do, and I'm going to spend the rest of my life, whatever it is you want me to do, that's the moment of forgiveness. That's the moment of healing. That's where everything in your life will start to change and take shape when it's fully surrendered, when we become fully forgiven. And for this man, he was fully forgiven in this moment. And as soon as he was forgiven, he was completely healed. He was paralyzed. He woke up that morning. He couldn't move his body. He couldn't move half his body. We have no idea what it was. Uh, but he was paralyzed. But at, by the end of this night, the end of this story, he was walking, jumping, and he was praising God. Because his friends, why his friends? They moved with the gifts that God had given them. They weren't going to give up. They had fortitude. I'm not giving up on God. I'm not giving up on my friend. I'm going to keep on pushing until this guy is healed. I'm not giving up until this man gets his life. I'm not going to stop. I have mercy and compassion on my friend because I want something better for my friend. I want a better life for my friend. I want something better for this person. I have compassion. I have mercy. I am not giving up on them. These four guys were moving in the gifts that God had given to them. And at the end of the day, it says that there was all the people, they were gripped with wonder and awe. And then they started to praise the paralyzed man. Ah, nope, didn't say that. They started to praise the friends. Mm. Nope, didn't say that either. They started praising God. When we're moving in the gifts, when good things are happening, who gets the glory? They're praising, we're praising God because we see what God has done. God does what we can't. My title this morning calls it Aggressive Pursuit. Aggressive pursuit. And it's aggressive pursuit because the four men in the story, see, they aggressively pursued a couple things. One, they aggressively pursued Jesus. And I, I say it's aggressive because I don't know about you. If you go to somebody's house and you climb up on the roof, you take apart the roof, and then you lower someone down, to me, that's a little aggressive. 
That's a little aggressive right there. See, many of us, we give up along the way. Ah, I'm tired. I can't carry this guy any longer. He's so heavy. Did, what did you eat last night? Did you have four hamburgers last night? Man, you're heavy. And, and we give up on the guy. I can't carry you anymore. You're too heavy for me. I can't carry your problems. They're too heavy for me. I can't carry you anymore. It's just so heavy, and I just can't do it anymore. Or we get to the house, and there's no way that we can get in. And so, ah, sorry, dude, you're out of luck. Sorry, dude. It looks like you're stuck paralyzed. <laughs> aggressive. Man, these guys were aggressive. Carried strength, muscle, all the way to the house. Lifted him to the roof. And then aggressively, they were pursuing one man in the story, and his name was Jesus Christ. I'm getting my friend to Jesus. I'm getting my friend to Jesus. I'm getting my friend to Jesus. Nothing, no one is going to stop me, even myself. I'm getting him to Jesus. I'm getting him to Jesus. I'm aggressively going to get my friend, whatever it takes. I'm getting him to Jesus. Because when I get to Jesus, good things are going to happen. Something's going to happen. Something big is going to happen. I'm getting him to Jesus. Truthfully, we're all leaders. And I don't know if you marked that on your sheet this morning, but all of us are leaders. And you know why? Because I can hear all of us. If we get a new phone, how many of us pull out that phone and we start to explain our new phone to our friends? You are describing something that you're happy about. That's, that's leadership. When you get something like a new car, how many of us, we like parading it around? Woo! Look at my new ride, right? You start describing all the features. You're leading your friends into seeing the things that you like. When you got a motorcycle, right? When you like cruising around town. When there's a new favorite restaurant. When there's something new favorite that you like to eat. I watched this on the, new, the Food Network channel, and I learned how to cook for the very first time. And it is so delicious, and it's so amazing. And you have to try, you know, my bacon-wrapped sausage. And you have to try, you know, my chicken sriracha fettuccine. And you have to try. We don't realize, but all of us have the gift of leadership because we're leading people to things that we're describing. Places we like to eat. Shows we like to watch, music we like to listen to, things that we enjoy as habits, places, people. We're all leaders. But I wonder this morning, in our leadership, have we been leading people to Jesus? In this story, we're talking about spiritual gifts. And believe me, I love talking about cars. I like them. I like talking about food because I love to eat. I do. I think most of us do. There's so many things that, yeah, we can talk about for hours. But if we're not leading and helping each other get to the source of life, then what are we, what are we doing? We're all leaders, but where are we leading people to? Jesus said, when I come back, people are going to be busy. And to be honest with you, these are the days that we live in. Because Christians and non-Christians, what are, are we today? We're busy. 
we're so busy with festivals and get-togethers and just living life mentally, physically, spiritually, emotionally. So many people live in a busy state. Jesus says, this is when I will be coming back. And if this is the day and if this is the season that he comes back, how many will he find leading other people to the source? So as we start to wrap up this morning, going to wrap up kind of where we started. And not at the beginning of the message, but the beginning where our offering message started. If you remember this verse, James 4, 7, humble yourself before God. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. You know, it's interesting enough, the writer of James, Jesus' half-brother, humble yourself before God. That only means that you come to God and say, you know what, God? You're the man in charge. You're Hefe. And I'm not. That's it. Humbling yourself simply understands he's God, he's in charge, I'm not. He said, resist the devil. Resist the devil. And what's going to happen? He will flee. Come close to God, and God will come close to you. How many of us, we take this, that verse right there. We're waiting on him. We're waiting for direction. We're waiting for money. We're waiting for provision. We're waiting for this. We're waiting for that. Well, God says, if you come close to me, then I'm going to come close to you. Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. They're plans for good, not for disaster, to give you future, to give you hope. In those days when you pray... I will listen. But this is the most important part of the verse. Verse 13. If you look for me wholeheartedly, then you'll find me. See what God said there? If you look for me wholeheartedly. God didn't say when you start to look with, with a half a heart, a quarter of a heart. God said, when you look for me wholeheartedly, when you start to come after me with every single thing that you have, how many of us need and want one thing in our life today? How many of us would say, God, this is the one thing that I need answered today? God, this is the one thing that I'm believing for. This is the one thing I'm asking. Have we honestly taken that one thing before him wholeheartedly to say, God, I am desperate with everything that is within me. I am coming to you on this one thing. God, I'm not leaving. I'm not going anywhere until you answer this one thing. Jesus, if you look for me wholeheartedly, then you will find me. Second Chronicles 69. The eyes of the Lord, you know what they do? It says they search the earth to strengthen, to help whose hearts are fully committed to God. Is God here? Absolutely. Do we feel him this morning? Do we sense him this morning? If you've made a step, if you've reached out, said, God, I'm moving towards you, then yes. But we come to church sometimes, and there's so many things in our brain and so many things happening. Many of us are waiting on God when God's saying, I'm waiting on you. I'm waiting on you. I'm waiting on you. Jesus said, keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. The door will be open. Aggressive pursuit. These men in the story aggressively pursued Jesus, 
They weren't giving up until their friend was healed. And so our title today, Aggressive Pursuit, three things. Today's the day. It's time to aggressively. If we're not pursuing God aggressively, we need to pursue him aggressively. We need to look for God. We need to talk to God. We need to pray probably more than what we do. It doesn't have to be 30 minutes at a time and then wait an hour and then pray 30 minutes again. While we're working, we can pray while we work. We can worship while we work. We can sing while we work. We need to be more aggressive in our pursuit of God. If God says, you're only going to find me when you're wholeheartedly looking for me, then we must aggressively pursue him maybe with a little bit more. Secondly, we need to pursue all that God has given to us. You have so many gifts. You are an exceptional, exceptional. Every one of us in here, we are exceptional people. God has made us unique and good and awesome and amazing with purpose, with strength, with mercy, with compassion, with faith to believe in great things. If God created the heavens and the earth, if God created the universe, if God created the sun, moon, and stars, if God created the oceans, God created all of these things. Remember, he thought it was important enough to give us phones. Don't even worry about it. If God created, if God created all of these things, he thought it was important enough to create you too. You're created for a reason. One, to pursue your creator. Two, to pursue all that he has for you. When, when parents pass away, hopefully they leave something to their kids. Maybe a dog, you know, maybe something, right? But when parents do pass from this life, hopefully they pass something on, right? To somebody, to something. God has moved, and God has given this earth to us. He's left us an inheritance of gifts, wealth, and knowledge. Just some of us haven't claimed the rightful inheritance that it belongs to us to pursue all that God has for me. I'm going to pursue God. I'm going to pray, yes, just a little bit more, just a little bit longer. I'm going to worship while I work. I'm going to put the Bible app on my phone and play it while I'm working, and I can hear the Bible while I'm working. Secondly, I'm going to pursue what God has for me. If he's given me the gift to believe and to pray for people to see miracles, then I'm going to start to pray for opportunity to pray for people. Just pursue every single gift that God has given to me. And then thirdly, to allow God to develop the gifts that he's given to you. And this is a big one. When you start a job, I'm in food sales, and I had absolutely no food experience. I didn't believe in cooking when I was younger. I just believed in eating it. I didn't believe in cooking it. I had no food mindset, comprehension of how long you know, microwave, non-microwave, nothing. And I get into food sales with no, no food knowledge at all. I had to be taught, I had to be trained on how to sell food. In your workplace, there's things, maybe you're just a know-it-all, I don't know. And so maybe you can do any job and no one has to teach and train you. But I kind of think that somewhere along the line, someone had to teach you and train you how to do something. Why is it when it comes to spiritual things, we're not asking to be taught and trained with what our Heavenly Father has given to us? These gifts that are in here, the gifts that are on your paper, 
This is what will fully satisfy your life. When you move in the gifts that God has put inside of you, when you move in the calling that he has given to you, when you step out and say, I'm going to be used by God, there is nothing on the planet more satisfying than moving in what God made and who he made you to be, his gifts. You are gifted. You are exceptional to pursue aggressively, my God my creator, my heavenly father, to pursue my inheritance and all that he's given to me now, all the gifts that he's given me now. And thirdly, to ask for help. I need training and development. God, stir inside of me. God. The company I work for, every year we have the opportunity to get raises. And so every year they look at our sales and we have to grow the amount of profit, the amount of cases. There's so many different criteria, right, that we have to get accomplished to make more money at the end of the year. And if you do, yes. I could sit all year in sales and I can go play golf, even though I don't play golf. Sorry, Joseph. Right? But if I sit in my house and I want to sell food from my house, does that, does that look very aggressive? Does that look like I'm trying to grow my business? If I honestly want to increase my pay by growing my business, is it going to happen for my house? Eh, probably not. There's so many things that we think we can do not being in the place that God put us to be. God put you here for a reason. To aggressively. Just like the men in the story, I have to lead people to Jesus, whether they need forgiveness or healing or provision or deliverance, aggressive, aggressively. John 10, 10, my purpose is to give you all a rich and satisfying life. John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Colossians 1, 15, and I'm going to close with this. Christ Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. Jesus existed before anything was created. Jesus is supreme over all creation. For through God, through Jesus, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on the earth. He made the things that we can see. And he made the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through Jesus and for Jesus. He existed before anything else. And Jesus holds all creation together. Jesus is the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, and he is supreme over all who rise from the dead. And so Jesus is the first in everything. For God, in his fullness, was pleased to live in Christ, and through God, reconciled everything to himself. God made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. You know, the Bible, the more I read it, I'm, I'm so amazed. I'm so amazed the more that I read, the more that I read, and then I read it again, and then I read it again, and then I read it again, because there's certain things they don't really make sense the first time you read it. There's certain things that don't stick out the first time you read it. But the more you read it, the more you understand, wow, God just said in Colossians that Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God.
that Jesus in the flesh was God himself, that he came to the earth to display who he was in the person of Jesus Christ. Why? To bring people back to himself for healing and forgiveness. You all are exceptionally gifted and talented people. You are gifted. You are talented. You are unique. And there are things in you. There are things that God has placed in you. And sometimes we don't see them. But we're praying and we're believing that God would open our eyes so that everyone, and even ourselves, can see the amazing gifts that he's placed in us.